let me introduce my friend Larry to you. I'm going to read a little bit here, his bio, and then I'm going to have some personal comments. Larry McCall, the author of Grandparenting with Grace, Living the Gospel with, um, with Next Generation, as well as Loving Your Wife as Christ Loves the Church and Walking Like Jesus, serves as the director of Walking Like Jesus Ministries. Larry was gripped by God's saving grace at an early age and had the amazing privilege of being discipled by his parents and by other mentors in his home church. In 1975, Larry married Gladine, his sweetheart, since high school days. They have three married children— and seven much-loved grandchildren. Larry has had the joy of serving on the pastoral team of Christ's Covenant Church of Winona Lake, Indiana, since 1981. He was the pastor teacher there for, you said, 40? Was it 40 years? 40 years, and now is is one of the elders serving in a non-salaried capacity there. He is a graduate of Grace College, Grace Theological Seminary, and has a Doctor of Ministry degree from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He gets his batteries charged. That's the best you can come up with? He gets his batteries charged? Yeah. In serving Christ followers through his speaking and writing ministry. So we're helping Larry getting, get his batteries charged these days. Helping them see in clear, practical, gospel-centered ways how to pursue Christ and reflect him in daily life. So, on a personal note, Michelle and I have known Larry and Gladine for, we figured out, it, it's gotta be at least 25 years. We have ministered together on uh, the Aurora Board Ministry. That's Joe Aleppo's ministry. We have uh, ministered together in Italy. We have ministered together in conferences uh, with the chaplain's ministry of Aurora Ministry. Remember Rich Hines and others who were involved in that ministry, and we've, we've taught together. Many years ago, I actually preached in the church that Larry pastored in Winona Lake, Indiana, and... I will say this. Here's what I think describes Larry. I'm not trying to butter him up. I'm just being truthful. Sweet, kind, gracious. I was trying to describe him to Joel Purcell today, and I said, you've read Jerry Bridges, right? You know Jerry Bridges. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, Larry McCall is what you would imagine Jerry Bridges to be if he were a pastor, And that really, I think, sums up how I feel about Larry. He is kind, gracious. Anyone would want him as a pastor. He is a man of the word with a a heart for biblical application in people's lives and sanctification. So it is our privilege to have he and Gladine here. So let's give them a warm lakeside welcome. Thank you, brother. Well, after that, I feel like I need to tell a story on Pastor Steve. Would you like to hear one? Yes. yes. It was anonymous. I mean, unanimous. One time, Steve and I were uh, preaching together in Italy at a conference. And uh, the pattern, we figured out the pattern was on the even-numbered years, they had Dr. John MacArthur speak. And on odd-numbered years, they had people like Steve and me preach. And we're sitting there one day on an odd-numbered year, and Steve says to me, you see what's going on, Larry, don't you? And I said, what? And he said, on the even-numbered years, they have who's who. On the odd-numbered years, they have who's he. (laughs) I have told that story so many times, and I always would attribute it to you, Steve. (laughs) And it's true, we're the who's he. (laughs) But we're who's he 
serving Christ by serving his people. So it doesn't matter which book we're in, the who's who or the who's he does it. So glad you're here. And I get to speak at conferences fairly frequently. I'm trying to remember the last time we started early. <laughs> I know it's four minutes, but that, that's amazing. So thanks for, for being here. Let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, here we are in your presence, recognizing that we have no right to be in your throne room in our own name, so we come to you in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for bringing us to him, but also in bringing us to him, you've brought us to one another. And as we gather tonight and tomorrow, Lord, we have something in common as a group of people, not only people redeemed by your grace, but in your providence, most of us are grandparents or grandparents-to-be. So may your spirit come and give application to your word as we study it together so that our lives will be transformed, not only for our own good, but for the good of the coming generations and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you something. As Pastor Steve said, you had other things you could do on a Friday night. Why did you sign up to come to this seminar? You have grandchildren. <laughs> well, that's a good reason. What about having grandchildren? What? Well, there are spiritual challenges with some of the grandchildren. Yeah. There are spiritual challenges with some of the grandchildren, and maybe looking together into God's Word, seeing if we can find some help in that. What does a biblical grandparent look like? Oh, wow, thank you. What does a biblical grandparent look like? That, that's not a topic that's discussed too often, but we're definitely going to spend our time talking about that tonight and tomorrow. Yes? Okay. The, the door is... Be yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll repeat that because this is being recorded. Um, what do you do whenever, as a Christian grandparent, you're being blocked from the middle generation and the younger generation to talk about spiritual things? Is Gladine and I, and I didn't get to introduce you to Gladine yet, my wife Gladine. Gladine, would you mind standing up just for a moment? I don't mean to embarrass you, it just comes naturally. Um, my, my bride of 47 years, and she is the memorable one. You meet her, you'll remember her. Glad, if you look at her smile, you'll remember her name. Gladine. G-L-A-D-I-N-E. When Gladine and I have the privilege of traveling to speak on grandparenting, and we open it up for Q&A, that is probably not only a, an often asked question, but a hard and painful question is how do we have an impact on the younger generations when the middle generation in particular is blocking the door, closing the gate. And we might not get a lot of time to talk about that here today. We might, in a Q&A time, address it. Uh, it's not in our teaching notes, not in the notebook you received, uh, but we're glad to use Q&A time to talk about the issues you're facing. We want this to be helpful in your life. So feel free to bring it up again when we can block out some time for Q&A. And although we don't address it at length, I think it's chapter four, in, chapter four in the book, Grandparenting with Grace, where we address some of those issues, as well as the chapter called Challenges for Today's Grandparent or something. You think I'd remember the name of the chapters, but, but you'll see it in there. But yes, we're so glad you're here. And um, I pray that God will just continue to transform our lives. We've been praying, and our team up in Indiana has been praying for us as well. 
that uh, not only would we gain in our knowledge, our understanding, but our lives would be transformed. And by our transformed lives as grandparents, uh, we would see the coming generation impacted through us. Let me ask you another question. If you were to interview some of your grandparenting friends at work, in your neighborhood, maybe extended family, and you were just casually to ask some of your grandparenting friends, what's the best part of grandparenting? What do you think you would get as an answer? You get to send them home. Yeah, I usually hear that extended just a little bit. What I hear people saying is, you can spoil the grandchildren and send them home. And we're all supposed to laugh. Like, that's really fun. But if you stop and think about it for a moment, who wants spoiled kids running around? I mean, it doesn't do the kids any favor. It doesn't please the Lord. And it certainly isn't going to be pleasing to the parent if you spoil the kids and send them home. There's got to be something better than that. There's got to be something higher. I read a statistic, or maybe I heard it from someone else that speaks on the subject, but I was fascinated to find out that there are about 30 million professing Christian grandparents in North America. Now, clarify what we're talking about here. We're not saying there's 30 million grandparents in North America. There's 30 million grandparents in North America who say, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not saying they're all converted. I don't know them all. But there's 30 million grandparents in the United States and Canada who say, I'm a Christian. That's a lot of professing Christian grandparents. So this huge demographic of 30 million professing Christian grandparents, the surveys that have been taken, anybody want to guess what percentage of those say, I've received teaching from the Bible on the ministry of grandparenting? Anybody want to guess what percentage? Say, I've gotten training. 2%, 1%. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's about 1%, maybe a little bit less than 1%. But the good news is it's starting to change. And um, Gladine and I feel so privileged, so blessed to be part of that movement that's growing. I'll tell you our story real quickly, and then we're going to talk more tonight about what's God's calling on me as a Christian grandparent. It was about seven years ago that the man in our church in charge of our adult classes, like Sunday school classes or discipleship classes, different churches call them different things, he approached Gladine and me and said, would you two be willing to lead a class on biblical grandparenting? That was the question. Would you be willing to lead a class on biblical grandparenting? And Gladine and I looked at each other, and the next thing out of our mouths was, what? (laughs) I mean... I'd been a pastor for a long time, done a lot of teaching on things like parenting and marriage, but no one had ever taught us anything on grandparenting, and we'd never taught anybody anything about grandparenting. But we love God's people, we love God's word, we loved our grandkids, so we said, yes. I said, yes, I'll teach this class, not having any background in biblical grandparenting. And so I did two things. One thing I did was I just started looking in my Bible for God's teaching on grandparenting. Now, if you get your Bible app and you do a search on grandfather, grandmother, grandparenting, you're only going to find a few hits. There are not that many appearances of the word grandfather, grandmother, or grandparenting in the Bible. But if you come in the same house through a different door, if you come in through a door like intergenerational comments, like one generation shall tell the next generation, Or if you look for phrases like, 
your son's sons, you're going to get a lot of hits. And so I was pleased to find out the Bible actually does have a good bit to say about intergenerational impact, and we'll say grandparenting. The second thing I did is I started looking for books that people had written on biblical grandparenting. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? You know, it was like, if you get on Amazon and you just type in Christian books on marriage, you get this flood, you know? Christian books on parenting, there is this flood. Christian books on grandparenting, beep. (laughs) There's just hardly any out there. And uh, I found a handful, just a handful, and um, downloaded one on my Kindle and It was actually a popularized version of a Ph.D. dissertation that a man did at Southern Seminary. Uh, This guy at Southern was in the Family Life Department at Southern, and um, he had to write his dissertation on something about family life, and he realized nobody had written anything on grandparenting that explored the Bible. So he asked his profs if he could do it. And here's a guy that wasn't even 40 yet, wrote this wonderful book on biblical grandparenting, and it's been published since. Dr. Josh Mulvihill. But I, I downloaded it on my Kindle, and I'm, you know, I'd read it at night when I couldn't sleep, and I'm like, Gladine, listen to this. Gladine, listen to this. Poor lady couldn't get any sleep, you know. I was so excited. I said, I want to meet this guy. I, I want to meet this guy. In the Lord's kindness, I was speaking at a, a men's conference, actually, in Grand Rapids, and uh, another speaker was there, and I recognized his name. He was one of the few guys that had written on biblical grandparenting, Kevin Harper. And I said, I know who you are. And he'd heard of me. And, and he said, hey, about 20 of us are getting together in Colorado Springs in a few months. Would you and your wife like to be in that group? And we, I said, do I have to pray about this? I mean, like, yeah. And, um, and so we went out to Colorado Springs, and there were about 20 people getting together just to pray and talk. How can we begin to make a difference in North American churches Helping people see that grandparenting is a God-given ministry, a calling. And that young guy that wrote the dissertation, he was there. And so we've teamed up and gotten to know each other and gotten to serve together different times. So the reason I'm telling you that story is to encourage you. That you're a grandparent at a very exciting time. Because just in the last five to seven years, there has been this impetus to see biblical training on grandparenting go across churches, not only in North America, but I was on a Zoom call yesterday with the leader of the Legacy Grandparenting Coalition, and he was telling us that now we're getting interest in Spain, South Africa, South Korea, India, and Ireland, and so word's starting to spread. So be encouraged that what you're learning here this weekend and what you'll continue to learn in your own study of God's Word on grandparenting uh, you're kind of in that wave, that first wave of people in our, our era who see grandparenting as a God-given ministry. It, it's exciting to be a grandparent. It's exciting to be a grandparent now. It's exciting to be a Christian grandparent now. You're going to hear a word from me uh, a number of times over today and tomorrow, and that's the word intentional, to be an intentional Christian grandparent. When you hear the word intentional, what comes to your mind? What What synonyms come to your mind when you hear the word intentional? Purposeful, effort, effort, deliberate, deliberate, thinking, planning, thoughtful, all those words come to mind, don't they? Well, if there were some sort of intentionality spectrum, 
uh, of, of Christian grandparenting, you know. Um, we'll put here over on your left the Christian grandparent who's not very intentional at all. Now, I'm not saying he has no contact with his grandkids, but he's not intentional about it. What I mean, it, it might be something like this. There's a grandfather who, he thinks, you know, I'm a pretty good grandfather, um, but in actuality, he doesn't plan ahead that much what he's going to do pouring the gospel into his grandkids. He gets a phone call from his son, you know, hey, Dad, Caleb has a soccer game on Saturday. You want to come? And sure, I'll come. And so Granddad goes to Caleb's soccer game and... I'm glad he was. I'm glad he was there. I'm glad he was able to say, good game, Caleb, you know. But was that intentional? He, he was asked to come, and so he agreed to come. And I think there's a lot of grandparents that are like that. You know, I'm here for you. You know, my kids can always ask me to get involved if they want me to. Or if my grandkids want to spend time with me, they can ask. And so it might be responsive, but it's not intentional. I would guess that most of us in the room are probably somewhere in the middle. We're somewhat intentional with our grandkids. We do think sometimes, how can I be a spiritual influence on my grandkids? How can I be presenting the gospel, showing the gospel, teaching the gospel to my grandkids? And we do that some of the time. But a lot of the time, you know, we're just not thinking in that realm. I think a lot of grandparents think of grandparenting as, I call it fun and funds. There's a DS on the end of that second word. <laughs> you know, grandparenting's about fun and funds. We don't have a lot of fun with the grandkids, and we do. My wife and I have seven grandkids. The youngest, little Josiah, is three, and the oldest, Jackson's 15. So we've got three teenage grandkids, and then on down the line. Love them all. Each one's different. Some are more of a challenge than others, you know, but we love each one of them. We do like to have fun with them. And it is good to be generous. Funds, you know, generous at Christmas, birthdays, put some money in their college fund. But what is God's calling on us? Some of you picked up a notebook on your way in. You can take notes on that if you'd like. And I'm not going to follow it exactly, but I'm going to follow pretty closely. You'll be able to tell pretty much where I am if you look at that notebook. Just as a heads up, so you know what's going to happen tonight and tomorrow. And so you can pray for me. I've been having trouble with my throat lately, and I'm praying I'm not a distraction to you if I cough. But if I cough, I, I'm not giving you COVID. Okay. You're used to it. Thank you for that assurance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> tonight, we're going to talk about what is God's calling on me as a grandparent. We have three sessions tomorrow. Uh, first one in the morning will be, why does my grandchild need the gospel? Why does my grandchild need the gospel? And then the third session will be, how to leave a contagious Christ-centered legacy. And then the last session will be, inspiring the next generation to live for Christ in a hostile world. And I think that's a topic that we need to think about more and more as grandparents. How do I help my grandkids live for Christ in a hostile world? So the question we want to deal with tonight is, what's God's calling on me as a grandparent? Let me just read selectively from the scriptures. Some of these are in your notebook. If you're quick if you're with your fingers and you want to turn to them in your print Bible or turn to them on your phone or whatever, that's fine. I think most of them are in your notebook. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. The setting is what? Moses is talking to a new generation of Israelites before they went to the promised land. And he knows he's going to die. He's not going with them into the promised land, but he gives them this charge. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, he says this, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children. What's the next word? And your children's children. Fun story about that verse. A friend of ours, the head of the Legacy Grandparenting Coalition, it's, get on the website, you can find that ministry. Uh, Larry Fowler was the head, he's the other Larry, he's Larry 1, I'm Larry 2. Um, Larry Fowler, the head of the Legacy Coalition, used to be the head of Awanas, you familiar with Awanas, the children's program? And when he was approaching retirement age, you know, he was kind of wondering, Lord, am I, am I done? <laughs> And he says, I've heard him say this, he said, the Lord changed my life with the word and. He was reading Deuteronomy 4, 9, and it says, teach these things to your children and your children's children. And Larry was convicted that he needed to be more engaged, more intentional with his own grandchildren. And he and Diane moved from Chicago, where the headquarters for Juanus is, to Southern California to be closer to their grandchildren. And, um, and then the Lord led him to help start this ministry that now is picking up steam across the world, Legacy Grandparenting Coalition. A life changed by the word and. I wonder if other people might have their lives changed by the word and. Maybe some of you here tonight, you realize, I'm not done. I'm not done. The Lord has a ministry for me in pouring into my children's children. The Psalms are rich with verses like this. Psalm 71, 18. Here's a prayer for us, folks. So even to old age and gray hairs. Amen? Oh God, do not forsake me until, until what? Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Lord, give me the time, give me the energy to proclaim your might, your glory to the coming generation. Psalm 78 has been precious to Gladine and me. This has been a passage that's been transformational in the way we live. I'm just going to read selectively from that psalm, but beginning of verse 4. We will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. Why? Verse 7. Why? So that they should set their hope in God. I hope you remember lots about these four sessions we have together this weekend. I really do. I hope you can remember a lot of it. And if you're taking notes, that'll help. But if you forget almost all of it, I hope you remember this verse, Psalm 78, 7. If you ask, what is God's calling on us as grandparents? It's that we would be tools in his hand to tell the coming generation about his might. Tell the coming generation about his greatness, his grace. Why? Why would we do that? Verse 7. Someone repeat it back to me. Why would we do that? So that they would set their hope in God. Now, I'm acquainted with your theology here at Lakeside, and I agree with it, by the way. And we all know that you and I can't change another person's heart. There's one person who can change a heart. One person that can make a dead person alive, and that is God himself. You and I can't make our grandchildren into Christians. But you know what God lets us get to do? We can set the table. We can't make them eat, but we can set the table. And we can lay out in front of our grandchildren the glorious deeds of the Lord. 
We can lay out before our grandchildren just how great and how good he is, how gracious he is. We can talk to them about the wonder. I, I think of the way Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4 when he talks about seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray sometimes for our grandchildren that way. Lord, give them eyes to see your glory in the face of your son. Give them ears that they would hear the good shepherd's voice. Take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You know, that we pray that way. But the Lord doesn't want us to go passive. He wants us to be telling the grandkids about him. His greatness, his grace. Set the table and then pray, Lord, give them eyes to see. Give them an appetite for your food. That's the calling he has on us. One more, and we'll spend more time in Psalm 145 in a little while. But in Psalm 145, verse 4, is a wonderful summary. One generation will commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation pouring into the next generation. And so you and I, God wants us to be intentional on doing that. Now, let me just go back for a minute here and remind us of what we read in, in Deuteronomy 4.9. In Deuteronomy 4.9, it says that we are to make them known. Make them known. How do we do that? Well, we use words and we use our lives. Tonight we want to talk especially about using our words. Our grandchildren are listening to us. What are they hearing from us? Are they hearing us talking about the Lord? Is that intentional? Deuteronomy chapter 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6, a lot of you are familiar with this passage, it's a famous passage, the Jewish people, the faithful Jewish people repeat it regularly, daily, the Shema, but it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these words, I mean a little bit later there, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. And so here in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says to make sure the things that you've been taught about God, these glorious things about God, make sure they're in your heart. If it isn't in here, it's not going to come out there. You can't give what you don't have. You know, so Moses is saying, make sure these truths about God are here in your heart. But then he says, talk about them. Talk about them to the coming generation. When? When do you do that? What's the implication of what he's saying there? All the time. So as you go through life, as you're with your grandkids, and some of you are with your grandkids a lot. Three of our grandkids live a mile from us. And so we get to see them a lot. Not when we're traveling like this, but when we're home, we get to see them a lot. Four of our grandchildren live in Michigan, which isn't too far away, but uh, we don't just run over there. So you know what we did yesterday? We gave them a call. We talked to them. We give them Zoom calls. Usually on Tuesday afternoons, we have a Zoom call with the out-of-state grandkids and talk to them. We have Bible studies with them. But whether you have grandkids nearby or far away, you and I can talk to them. If it's every day, maybe they, you live in the same house. We were talking to some grandparents yesterday who live in the same house as their grandkids. It's three-generational household. But some of you have grandkids that live pretty far away, right? Yeah, but you can still be in contact with them. We live in a wonderful day when through phone calls, text messages, emails, Zoom calls, you can have a lot of interaction with your grandkids. Talk about them. Talk about what? You know, some of us are talkers. And some of you are there like, that's not me. <laughs> you know, and uh, you probably know who you are. 
And uh, sometimes I run into people that say, well, Larry, you're telling me I should be talking to my grandkids about these attributes of God. I'm, I'm no Bible teacher. I never went to Bible college. I never went to seminary. How do I know what to say? Well, guess what we're going to do tonight? I'm going to show you from the Bible how God has already given us this wonderful pattern to follow. I'm not saying it's exhaustive, but boy, isn't it a wonderful encouragement. So join me in Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And the reason we're going to Psalm 145 is this. As I read Psalm 145, I see that God in his kindness has given us this psalm, this song, that walks through how the older generation can talk to the younger generation about the greatness and the goodness of God. And so this is just um, a catalyst. As we read Psalm 145, I want Psalm 145 just to be a catalyst in my life, in your life, that if you're thinking, uh, uh, what do I talk about with the grandkids? Well, it, get familiar with Psalm 145 and go from there. It, it's a good starting point. So let me just begin reading Psalm 145, the first three verses. And when I read this out loud, I want you to be thinking of words to describe maybe how the songwriter David thinks it might be characterizing his own life. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And so if you were listening to David say that and you were telling a friend about it, you say, boy, wasn't he enthusiastic, committed, giving praise, He's passionate, isn't he? You read this introduction to this psalm and you see David isn't just saying, hey, you folks out there, why don't you tell the next generation this and this about God? He's engaged. He's intentional. You can hear the passion in his writing, can't you? And it's very personal. He's not just talking abstractly. Christians should tell the next generation. He's saying, I I am praising the Lord. I extol the Lord. And so it's very personal. It's very passionate. If you want to use a third P word there, it's persistent. He says, every day, forever and ever. I mean, this is marvelous the way he starts this song, this psalm. You can hear the excitement in his voice. By the way, do your grandkids see you as passionate about the Lord? We're going to talk more about that next day, too. How passionate are we about the Lord? How does that happen? How... How does the fire get stirred? Hang with us. So what's the next thing? Let's go to the next stanza there. Verses 4 through 6. What do we hear there about the Lord? 3 through 6. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They will speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. So David is saying personally and he's encouraging the people who are learning this song that he's writing, talk to the next generation about the greatness of God. Now I'm going to give you a pretty handy guideline here that has helped me. I'm going to give you three words. And you'll see the same pattern with every attribute of God. And the three words are these. Read, notice, and talk. Read, notice, talk. Read, notice, talk. What do I mean? 
So we're saying, God wants me to tell my grandkids. He wants me to tell the coming generation about his greatness. So how are you going to find out about God's greatness? This isn't a trick question. How are you going to know about God's greatness? You read. You read the Bible. And, and I, I'm hoping that you have that as part of your life, that you love reading God's Word. And if not, now's a good time. Now's a good time to say, I want to start reading God's Word. And Gladian and I are, are reading through the Bible chronological again this year. We did that last year and we enjoyed it so much. We're doing it again this year. And uh, the other day, we're going through Job right now. You know, Job's kind of a tough book to get through. I mean, if you're going through trials, you love the book of Job. You know, if you're not currently in a particularly hard place, you might think, when, when do we get to chapter 42? You know, but Job, uh, we're reading Job the other day, and I'm reading this thing where he's describing God and how he, he made the moon and the clouds and, and all these marvelous creative works of God. And he says, and these are but a whisper of his power. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, oh, what if God shouted? You know, what if he shouted? I mean, these are but a whisper of his power. So I'm reading in the Bible, and I'm, I'm reading, looking for the greatness of God. By the way, when you read your Bible, you know what we all have a tendency to do when we read the Bible? We're, we're looking for ourselves in there. You know, like, okay, what's, what's he want me to do today? You know, and, and we're using it kind of like it's about me, and it's just... The, the Bible's about God. I mean, it is about us, but it, he's, he's the main subject. And so when we read our Bibles, look for God. Every day, look for God. And look for his attributes. And so for this example, we're looking for his greatness. And I, I found that attribute of greatness reading Job the other day, the whisper of his power. So you read, and then you lift your eyes up from your Bible. You're looking around at God's world, and you're noticing you're noticing examples of God's greatness in the world around you. And you might see something and go, oh, there's an example of God's greatness. You, you read, you notice, and you talk. And so let's just make something up here. Let's say you're with your grandkids. It's getting to be evening and the sun's going down and there's a beautiful sunset. And you say to your grandchild, wow, isn't that a beautiful sunset? That's a true statement. What could you say? Talk. What could you say that would draw their attention to the greatness of God? Isn't God an artist? Hey, kids, look at that. Isn't God amazing? Look at those colors that God made. Isn't God a beautiful artist? And, and what, you know what you've just done if you do that? You've read. You're, you're getting more and more acquainted with the greatness of God from the Word. You're lifting your eyes up and you're noticing examples of that, but then you're very intentional in thinking of ways you could talk to your grandkids about it. And you say, look at that. Look at that sunset God made. Isn't he something? And I, I often think about the new earth, you know. I wonder what that'll look like on the new earth. I mean, just blow us away. I'm partially colorblind. I keep thinking one day I won't be colorblind any longer. You know, I'll see all those colors that most of you see. You know, but you just, you anticipate. But you're talking to grandkids about the greatness of God. Let's drop down to verse 8. Verses 8 through 10. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. 
The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give you thanks, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. The goodness of God. And so you read, you notice, you talk. And so you're reading your Bible, and you're saying, Lord, give me eyes to see attributes of you in my reading today. And it might not be every day, but I wouldn't be surprised in a lot of days, you're reading your Bible and you see something about the goodness of God. Maybe he was good to an individual or good to all of his people. Or, but you're, you're reading the Bible looking for illustrations of God's goodness. But then as a grandparent, you're not only reading it, filling your own heart, but then you lift your eyes and you're noticing. You're noticing the world around you. And so you look for examples of goodness. And there could be so many examples of this. You know, what if here at Lakeside there's some person who maybe has an illness and prayer meeting, people are praying that so-and-so would get, the Lord would heal so-and-so from that sickness. And lo and behold, next Sunday, you know, Mrs. So-and-so is back in the worship service. She's off her sickbed and back in the worship service. And, and you're noticing that. Isn't God good? Mrs. So-and-so is, is back in the worship service. But then what's the third thing you do? You talk. And so you say to your grandkids, hey, hey kids, especially if you're in the same church, this doesn't work if you're not, but you know, if you have grandkids with you in your own church, you say, hey kids, did you notice Mrs. So-and-so was in the worship service today? She was. Yeah, I saw her. She was right, you know, right up there on the left. Um, we were praying for her just last week. She was sick and God healed her. Isn't God good? Isn't God been good that he raised her up from her, her sickbed? And so you're reading about the goodness of God in the Bible. You lift your eyes up and you're looking for examples of that. But then you're an intentional grandparent. You're saying, I want to I point that out to my grandkids. I want my grandkids to see God as being good, even as he is. You see the pattern here? Let's keep going. This is fun, isn't it? Verses 11 through 13. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. This stanza is describing the sovereignty of God, his kingliness. And you're reading in your Bible, you're reading in your Bible and you're looking for these examples of God's sovereignty, his kingliness. You're saying, isn't he powerful? Isn't he good? Isn't he in control? What's the Bible says? It's Psalm 115. It says God does whatever he pleases. You know, and you're reading your Bible and you're seeing these descriptions of God, examples of God and his kingliness. But then you not only read it in your Bible, but then you lift up your eyes and you start noticing the world around you. And you see examples of his kingliness. You see examples of his sovereignty. But you don't stop with that. What do you do, grandparent? You talk. You talk to your grandkids and you think, how can I talk to my grandkids about the sovereignty of God? And maybe you have some story of providence in your own life, how God brought something to your attention that you weren't even paying attention to, or maybe you orchestrated the events of your life or the timing of something. And, and you don't just say, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, but you say, wow, God orchestrated my day so that this happened then and I wasn't expecting. You know, I'm just giving you illustrations. Sometimes they're on the macro, but sometimes we're on the micro. But you're seeing examples of God's sovereignty in your life and the world around you, and then you talk to your grandkids about it. You know, I don't think this is too big a stretch. I'm not saying it's an exact parallel, but you know, in this era in which we're living now, 
the church is the kingdom of Christ in some ways. And he's the head of the church. He's ruling his church. And uh, can, I, can I tell you one of my pet peeves? It really grieves me when I hear people bad-mouthing the bride of Christ. Do you know who the bride of Christ is, right? It's the church. Now you folks, some of you have known Gliding to me for years. Some of you are just getting acquainted this weekend. But what if, let's say by Sunday, after you've spent a couple of days with Gladine and me, you came up to me and says, you know, Larry, I kind of like you, but that wife of yours, how do you think that would make me feel? Don't tell me you like me if you don't like my wife. That's my wife. That's my bride. That's my sweetheart. And yet how many times as Christians, even us older Christians, we get kind of grouchy and itchy and... You know, and you know, I don't like this about the church, and don't like that, don't like that music, or whatever. People still say that, I don't know. <laughs> don't, no, don't answer it. <laughs> I, I, won't go, I won't go there. <laughs> you know, but there, sometimes we badmouth the church, and guess who might be listening? Little ears. The grandchildren might be listening to us badmouthing the bride of Christ. And I think we need to be real careful. We're talking about the kingliness of God. That we respect his kingliness, his sovereignty. And we respect his kingliness over his church. And that we speak respectfully of his people, his church. So we read, we notice, we talk. Let's look for another one or two here, okay? How about verses 13b through 17? The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is gracious in all his ways and kind in all his works. And here we read about God's kindness, his daily provision. God has a special love for hurting people. He has a concern even for animals. He takes care of them. And so we read in the Bible and we see examples of that. We see examples in the Bible of God's kindness, how he cares for people. He cares for people that are hurting. He cares for even animals. And then we lift our eyes up and we look for examples of that. And then we very intentionally make a point to talk to our grandkids about it. One of our granddaughters has a friend who is growing up on a, I've called them gentleman's farm, but I think sometimes people call them hobby farms. You know, these are those five or ten acre farms, you know. It's not big enough to make a living, but people like living out in the country, and so they have this hobby farm. Well, she goes to the Christian high school, and this other girl at the school growing up on a hobby farm, and she had, a, she had this get-together with all of her friends from school. So Kamile... Uh, she has an Hawaiian daddy, so she has a Hawaiian name. Kamile was invited to this party, this girl gathering at this hobby farm. And while they were there, a goat, a doe, gave birth to a kid. And our granddaughter got to see this kid being born. And she was telling us about it and how that little baby goat stood up on its wobbly, spindly legs and immediately began to nurse. And so... I said to Kamile, isn't God amazing? Isn't God kind? That baby goat never watched a YouTube on where to find milk. 
That baby goat never had a lesson on how to nurse. That baby goat just knew. It just knew how to nurse from the dough, its mother. And I said, isn't God kind that he cares even for baby goats? And he provided for them, not only a mother, but he, he provided for them to give them that innate knowledge that that's where I get nourishment. Isn't God amazingly kind that he even cares for little baby goats? And, you know, so you, you talk. You notice the attributes of God. You learn about them in the Bible. You notice them in the world around you. But then you're making a point. You're doing life with your grandkids. You're doing life with your grandkids, and you want them to see God. You want them to see God in the Word, and you want them to see illustrations of that in the world around them, that he's great, he's good, he's kind. Let's look at another one. Verses 18 through 20. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And here David's writing about God's saving grace. How he loves his children with a special love. He loves his people. And so you're reading in the Bible, you're reading in the Bible, and you're seeing these Example after example of God's saving grace. How he saves people, he redeems people. But then you lift up your eyes and you're looking at the world around you and you start seeing examples of that. You start seeing examples of God's saving grace. But you don't stop with that. You talk. You talk to your grandkids. And I'm sure you could tell me stories about Lakeside. And I'll tell you a quick story about our church in Winona Lake. There was a gal in our neighborhood who, a young mother who was a drug addict, lost her kids, and her kids were being fostered by a couple in our church. And so, you know, we got to know these kids who were being fostered, and then the mother eventually was allowed to visit the kids and come with the foster parents to church, and we got to know her, and the Lord saved Amy. And radically changed, radically changed. And today she has a godly husband. In fact, I just saw on Facebook, they're on vacation to Puerto Rico right now. <laughs> the Lord gave her a husband, a godly husband, who loves her and loves her kids. She's free from drugs. She loves Jesus Christ. And you know, Amy's baptism, you know, she gives testimony of God's saving grace. But three of her grandkids are in her church. And to talk to them and say, wasn't that, wasn't that powerful? To hear Amy's testimony. Isn't God amazing? That transformed life. And, and that's one example. Every, every person's salvation, whether they're a drug addict or not, is, is a miracle of grace. But I hope when you have baptisms, if you have grandkids with you regularly or even here visiting or whatever, or you're at their church and you see a baptism, talk to your grandkids about it. <laughs> Say, what did you hear today? What did you see today? What does that tell you about God? That he's a saving God. He's a gracious God. And so you read in the Bible, you're getting your heart, your heart's marinating, marinating in God's word. And you're seeing these attributes of God. And then you're lifting your eyes up and you're seeing example after example of that in the world around you. But you're an intentional grandparent. And so you, you begin a lifestyle of talking about those things to your grandkids. 
And so if you say, well, Larry, I'm not much of a talker, I'm no theologian, I don't know what to say to my grandkids, that excuse just went out the back door. <laughs> because if nothing else, you can go back to Psalm 145 and say, Lord, help me live out this psalm. And you know what's going to happen over time? You're going to find other things in the Bible, other attributes of God. And as you read the Bible, you're going to start seeing God. By the way, this is just for free here, but when I have my devotions in the morning, we have a series of things we, we like to pray in the morning before we read, but I've added one personally, and some mornings I forget, but I, I try to remember most mornings. I, as I go to my Bible app, I say, Holy Spirit, let me see Christ today. Let me see Christ today. And sometimes it's something rather overt. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's my need for Christ or the people in the Bible's need for Christ. So, but there are these reminders of Christ and how much we need him. And so if you're saying, I, I don't always notice God's attributes when I read the Bible, ask the, ask the Spirit to give you attentiveness to that. By, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to get on a rabbit trail here, but I'm not, no, I'm not sorry. If you say, if you say, Holy Spirit, let me see Christ when I read my Bible today. What do you think the Holy Spirit's going to say? Is he going to say, oh, I guess if I have to. <laughs> read 2 Corinthians 3.18 sometimes. The Holy Spirit wants Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to be honored in our lives. He's transforming us to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to transform us to honor Christ, to see Christ, to reflect Christ. And so if we say, Holy Spirit, let me, let me see Christ today in my Bible reading. I know, I know I'm putting human terms on the Spirit here, but it's as if the Holy Spirit's leaning forward and saying, thanks for asking. Glad to do it. And then next thing you know, your heart's being stirred. Your mind's being expanded. Where you, your, your understanding of God, your understanding of Christ is, being, is growing and, and it's elevated. And I don't care how old you are. You, you find yourself growing. By the way, I realize there's an age range here, but most of us are card-carrying senior citizens. <laughs> A couple years ago, one of my retired Bible profs from Grace College. I live in Winona Lake, the same town of the school I graduated from. One of my Bible profs called me, and he was a widower by then, and he lived in this Christian nursing home called Grace Village, and called me up and said, Larry, can you come over and have lunch with me at the village, Grace Village? He said, I've got some theological questions I want to bounce off of you. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're my prof. <laughs> But I honored him, and, I, I, and uh, so I said, sure, Dr. Stoll. So I went over to Grace Village, and he was sitting in his wheelchair, the only one at his little table, and I joined him. And, and we started looking at different scriptures as we were looking at lunch, and I just inadvertently started smiling, and he noticed. And he said, what are you smiling about? And I said, well, Dr. Stoll, I said, here you are in your 90s, and you're still learning. And he said, I'll never, I hope I never forget this. He said, do you remember how Peter ends his second letter? And I said, well, yes, sir, I do. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, do you see a retirement age on that verse? <laughs> I said, no, sir. He goes, well, okay, let's get back at it. <laughs> we never retire from 
growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you and I are going to make an impact on our grandkids for God's glory and their good, then we go back to Deuteronomy 4, nine, where it says, let these things be in your heart. And talk, in Deuteronomy 6, and talk about them. Talk about them to the coming generations. And so for you and I to be people of the book, to be people of the Bible, that we're learning, we're, we're learning. I don't care what age we are, we're learning more about God in the Bible. We're, we're very intentionally, very deliberately asking the Spirit to help us see these attributes of God in the Word. So we're seeing them in the Word, we're reading, and then we're paying attention, looking at the world around us, noticing attributes of God on display, but then we're talking. We're talking to those grandkids. We might miss some conversations. Don't get discouraged. There's lots of times grandkids go home and I think, oh, I blew it. I could have talked to them. I forgot to, you know. Anyway, but it, be, it, it starts to grow on you. And you start, this is kind of a, a way of life uh, where you're talking to the grandkids about God. And, and they see that in us. So let me just ask you when we talk about these things, First of all, doing some heart evaluation. What do your grandkids hear you talking about? What do they hear you talking about? We tend to talk about things that are important to us. And, you know, I was at the interview, your grandchildren, and they say, my grandpa, man, is he passionate about the Buccaneers, you know, or whatever. He can get going going on the Bucks, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that's what they think of. Or, well, my grandma, boy, is she into her hobbies. It's hard to get her stopped if she starts going, you know. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but wouldn't it be wonderful if the grandkids heard us talking about the Lord and we're pointing out these attributes of God that we're, we're setting the table so that they might set their hope in God, so that they would see God as being glorious, as good, and that they want Him in their lives. What do they hear from us? What do they see in us? Do they see in us a passion for Christ? One of our granddaughters is seven, going on 12. I know everybody has smart grandkids. But Ellie really is unusual. (laughs) One day I was going through the kitchen and she was at our house and she says to her grandma, she says, Grandma, what are you most proud of in life? I'm thinking, what kind of question is that from a seven-year-old? You know, Grandma, what are you most proud of in life? And, and then before gliding at any time to say anything, she goes, I know, it's God. <laughs> uh, well, that, there's probably better ways to say it, but she's seven. You know? <laughs> but it just struck me in that moment when Ellie thinks of Grandma, what does she think of? Grandma's passionate about the Lord. And, and that's not a bad thing. I mean... That, that Ellie would see Grandma being passionate about God and for God in his kindness to use that to stir her heart wanting to know God as well. What do they see in us? What do they hear from us? And then thirdly, let me just maybe wrap this up by saying, what, what are you praying for your grandkids? I'm going to be a little bit hard on us here. You, do you know what I hear most grandparents praying for their grandkids? We, we tend to pray for safety and success. Lord, just keep my grandkids safe. Keep them safe. 
There's all kind of bad things out there. There's bad people out there, Lord. There's all kind of bad things that can happen. Just keep, please keep my grandkids safe. And just help my grandkids be successful. At school, help, help them to do well academically. Help them to do well in the athletic field. If you have older grandkids, help them to be successful at college or in their career. And we, want, we ask God for safety and success. And, and those aren't necessarily bad, but isn't there something better? Isn't there something greater? Lord, would you come and work on my grandson's heart? Would you come and give my granddaughter a new heart? Would you, would you take out her heart of stone and give her a heart of flesh? Would you help her see your glory? in the face of Jesus Christ. And that we're praying for conversion. We're praying for God to do a miracle of grace in their lives. And if your grandkids are saved, Lord, give them a growing love for you. Use them as a tool in your hand to impact our world for you. Make them strong in this hostile world. We'll talk about that again tomorrow. But we want our grandchildren to set their hope in God. Why don't we ask God to give us all a good night's rest? How's that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been such a delight this evening to talk together about your word and how you've called us as grandparents to pour your gospel into the coming generations. May you continue to work in our lives, Lord, continue to make us grow, transform us to more brightly reflect your son, especially with our own family. And Lord, for those with especially difficult situations where the gate is closed or almost closed, would you do a miracle of grace? showing us your power to reach the coming generations. Help us all, please, to get a good night's rest tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.